Welcome to the My Chains Are Gone podcast, a place where people are sharing their stories of how God has brought them life and freedom through Jesus. Today we hear from Will, the husband of Rochelle from episode 24. Will described himself as a lazy agnostic. He was just trying to survive every day in the midst of an abusive relationship. Will had abandoned God, but just like the prodigal son, Will experienced the open arms of a loving father when he called out to him in a place of brokenness. Listen for the huge turnaround that God brought about in his life and how the Lord sustains him now in his daily trials. I do want to point out that in his story, there is mention of sexual abuse he experienced. This may not be an episode to listen to with little ears around. Now to Will's story. Will, thank you so much for joining me on the My Chains Are Gone podcast. Thank you. I'm kind of excited. Yes. I'm looking forward to hearing your story. Um, Can you share a little bit about who you are right now? So I am a husband and a father. Um, My daughter is seven and she's pretty severely disabled. So there are some complications there. I'm also a fairly recent accounting graduate, despite being way too old to be a recent graduate. Mm -hmm. I'm about two years into my new career and I really kind of like it. Okay, great. Can you share a little bit about growing up in your home environment? Did you guys go to church, not go to church? Um, We went to church. We went to, um, I guess what I would consider sort of like the death throes of Christendom, like those sort of churches. I've, I've, kind of got a distaste for that whole like cultural impact that the death of Christendom has left behind. So I don't, we went to churches that in retrospect were like very superficial. There wasn't really a community. There wasn't really an emphasis on the gospel itself. It was cultural Christianity in a lot of ways. Okay. Did you guys talk about Jesus much in your family life? Sort of. It's, it's kind of interesting. Um, my grandparents on my mother's side were very devout. My grandfather preached for most of his life. So there, yeah, there was a lot of, there were discussions. And my dad has always been just kind of an odd duck. Uh, he has some very interesting perspectives on a bunch of things, including religion. And so I've had some formative conversations with him about religion over the years. And he definitely is very much like all in on Jesus, but still some perhaps differing opinions from mainstream Christianity in some weird ways too. Okay. And so would you have considered yourself a believer growing up? Yes, but looking back on it now as an adult, I don't think I really knew what that meant. Okay. Like I I really erred towards legalism. Like as a young man, I worked really hard to, you know, the Bible says do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And so that's what it was to me. It wasn't like a relationship with Jesus. It was a set of really strict, difficult to follow rules that I often failed at and beat myself up for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the rules that you were living off of were based on the Bible, but it was more just out of your own efforts. Yeah. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah. Okay. So what was your view of God at that time? Largely as as a parent. I mean, really, like my, okay. my home life was kind of odd. Um, my parents divorced when I was in junior high about – 
I think I was 12 when, when the proceedings started and it, their divorce was awful. It took three or four years to get through. Wow. And, um, they like drug us kids into court several times throughout that period. So yeah, I thought of, I mean, God identifies himself as a parent. I thought of him in terms of my parents because they were the only ones I'd ever known. We were, uh, incredibly sheltered. Uh, we lived out in the country. My dad was very particular about who we spent time with outside of our nuclear family. And so I had a lot of really bizarre opinions on things and I was sheltered and controlled and sometimes punishments didn't fit the crimes. And so I thought of God in terms of the parentage I knew, which was imperfect, of course, as we all are. Yeah from your questionnaire, I know that you had kind of this time period after high school where you had a vastly different life. How did you get into that? Well, this is this is a story that kind of ties in with some of the other stories I prefaced. So as a kid who lived a very sheltered life and had parents who were a little odd, I was also the only boy with all sisters. I was a weird kid. And I had a really hard time making friends. And I had a really hard time attempting to date when I got to that age. I was single through most of high school. And then um, I met a girl, just complete happenstance online. She saw I had made a website for the church that I was attending. And so she emailed me because she had been tasked with making a website for her church. And we started talking and it just went from there. And Eventually, we ended up dating. She lived in another state. We did the long distance thing. It was really hard. Eventually, we got engaged. Um, and so much of my identity, after having been single for so long, so much of my identity ended up wrapped up in this girl that I thought I was going to marry and be the father of her children. And like, I wanted all of that. And those are good things. But they became my identity, which is not what God wants for us. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately that relationship ended. And when it ended, I said, you know, God, these are the things that I wanted. These are things that I know are in your plan for most people. You denied them to me. I don't want anything to do with you. And so I like very actively turned my back on God because that relationship didn't work out. Mm -hmm. It was, I mean, I was too old for it really, but it was like that very obsessive junior high first love feeling that you have. And so I didn't handle it well as most people don't. Right. So your heart kind of shattered (laughs) Mm -hmm. in many ways and you didn't necessarily have the Christian maturity or the relationship with God to to allow him to heal you and to change you. And like I said, from my perspective at the time, all of those things, like I met her because of a thing that I had done for the church. We started out talking about the church, like everything from my perspective at the time was God putting us together in these circumstances from a one in a million chance. This was, this was my fate was to be with her that God had aligned all the stars And then it didn't work out. And so I said, if you're taking this from me, I don't want anything to do with you. Yeah. Um, And so then what did your life start looking like? It was a it was a slow progression, I guess, at first. Like I was just horribly depressed for probably two or three years, like 
barely left my room, barely spoke to anyone. Um, I also got shortly thereafter, I got in a really bad car accident. So between me kind of disappearing from the social sphere and then me having the bad car accident, there was a rumor circulating in my hometown for years and years that I had died in that car accident because no one saw me afterwards. Wow. And so, yeah, I just, just kind of lived in the dark basically. And then after some time there, maybe two or three years, um, some friends of mine who I'd still intermittently spent some time with a, a pretty close knit group that I chose to spend time with. They introduced me to a female friend that they had met at community college. As much as I denied it at the time, I had grown lonely and yeah, she and I started dating just kind of through a weird series of circumstances that I'm not proud of. She and I ended up in a relationship for a really long time. So it was a relationship that you would consider healthy or not healthy? Uh, not at all. Okay. Um, her parents were believers. She was not. My parents were believers. I was not. Mm -hmm. And so um, the relationship began, and this is the only time that this has happened in my life, the, relation, the relationship began sexually. Mm -hmm. I was very lonely, very frustrated, very angry about everything. Um, she, I don't know how to put this gently, she presented herself as available in that way. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't, as a non-believer, I didn't see any reason not to pursue that avenue. And mm -hmm. so that is how it started. I later found out that she actually was a virgin, and so she latched on tight. And so how long were you in that relationship? Somewhere between five and seven years we were together. Maybe eight to ten months after we started dating, we uh, moved in together. Uh, I had been living with my parents. She was living with her parents. We got an apartment together. It didn't start off as bad as it ended up, but it was never good. A large part of my depression after after my high school relationship was a, this sort of psychological need to punish myself. Okay. Like, as much as I was angry at God, I was also angry at myself. I had put everything I had into that relationship, and I couldn't make it work. Mm -hmm. And so when this girl came along, I thought to myself, it doesn't matter. I need to prove to myself that I can make a relationship work. No matter what it takes, what it costs, it doesn't matter. I have to make this work to prove to myself that I can be in a relationship that works. Mm. And so I started out in a really unhealthy place, mm -hmm. clearly, and it got worse from there. And how did it get worse? Relatively slowly at first, but over time she became verbally abusive to the point that I I knew and planned and scheduled at least two hours a day for her to yell at me about how awful and terrible and worthless I was. Mm. Like that was a part of my daily routine and there was no way around it. And so I made time for it. Wow. Um, she was, she became physically abusive in time. Um, I remember being careful when my grandfather died and we went with my family to Wisconsin for his funeral. I remember having to put a lot of thought into the clothes that I packed for that trip because we were staying in a hotel with my mom and sisters. 
so I needed to pack appropriately so that none of them saw the bruises. And then um, in time, there was even some sexual abuse. In time, I was not especially physically attracted to her. Like I said, I was in this relationship in a weird, twisted way to punish myself for a past failure in a relationship. And so um, it became that she would come to me for sex when I wasn't interested and sort of emotionally force it on me. Everything became an ultimatum, a threat of suicide, a threat of leaving. You think I'm gross. You think I'm ugly. I should just kill myself. And so it, it was a very like, she, she was not capable of physically taking it the way that, um, unfortunately men sometimes do from women, but she put me in a position where I felt I had no choice. Like I had to give her what she wanted or not only would I never hear the end of it, but she might actually hurt herself. She had, she had shown in the context of her, our relationship to be somewhat emotionally unstable. She might hurt herself. She might hurt me more. And so she put me in a position um, probably a couple times a week where I felt like I had no agency, where I had to give her what she wanted. Wow. How does a man recover from that? I mean, you weren't a believer. So right. you, you probably now have more mature thoughts about that now than you did then. It's, it's trauma. It is like it is an it is an emotional psychological trauma that I live with every day. I hesitate to equate it to the powerlessness that a female sexual abuse uh, victim would fall into, but I feel like there are some parallels, if not an equivalency. It is a sexual trauma that I will live with the rest of my life. It has made parts of my marriage challenging. Um, if, for example, my wife hints at um, being interested in sex, but leaves the ball in my court, that terrifies me. Mm. Like that, that makes me shut down. I am afraid of being manipulated. Like if she has any inklings towards initiating, I need her to go for it. Like, she can't hint at it and then wait for me. Like, it it has to be all or nothing on her part. Because, like, those are scars that I still bear. Mm -hmm. Like, I have, um, through God's grace and through many long discussions with my wife, started to come to terms with, one, what triggers me so that we can have those conversations and she can know. But two, also to remember in those moments that she is not my abuser, that she loves me, that I am safe, that she will not hurt me. And like that is a learning process. It's a learning process for both of us. And mm -hmm. it's not fair to either of us that we have to live with that, but that is what abuse does. Wow. That's really hard. And you're right. We don't hear that a lot from men. No. Um, and so and I, th I think... I think that, one, it's hard to talk about 
because it's different. What what men go through in sexual abuse is different than what women go through in sexual abuse. And like I said, I don't want to equivocate the two, but I do think that the emotional scars it creates are similar, having known, uh, sadly, many women in my life who have been sexually abused and having talked to them about it and what they've gone through mm-hmm. as the healing process. Like, there are some similarities in recovery. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it is hard to recognize it for men, but I think it's important that we have a dialogue about it Mm -hmm. because it's still trauma. It's still abuse. It's still sin. It's Mm -hmm. wrong. It's Mm -hmm. evil in the world. Mm -hmm. And so like being able to, Call it what it is, recognize it for what it is, allows you to start to heal. Right. That's good. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I feel like it is an important story for people to hear. Yeah. So how did you get out of that? Perhaps in the worst way possible. Another girl came along and threw herself at me despite knowing that I was in a relationship. And once... She she was very persistent and I had never I have never been actively pursued by a female in my life other than in this circumstance. And eventually I gave in like part of it was the extreme unhappiness of the relationship I was in, because while I wanted to make it work, as I've said repeatedly, it wasn't good. It was never good. And as like the abuse continued, like I, I just wasn't happy. And so when someone came along, showed interest in me rather than me pursuing relentlessly someone else as my dating past had been. And then, um, she was nice to me, Mm -hmm. which was something I really wasn't used to. Right. And so eventually, yeah, I, um, I kissed her and I felt bad about it. And so I broke up with the girl who I had been with for years. And so while I, I don't, I'm not proud of that either. Of course, I'm not proud of any of that relationship. Right. But um, in a in a weird way, the relationship with the girl who drugged me away from the abuser really only lasted about six months. But in a way, I'm grateful to her for giving me the strength to break away. Right. Even yeah. though it was, it wasn't. A thing. Yeah, yeah. That lasted. So through that whole experience, those six, seven years um, of your life, did you mm-hmm. have any times where you felt God's presence or God calling you or wooing you or um, even any thoughts about God whatsoever? No. None? No. Okay. No. I was, um, I at the time, if it ever came up, I joked that I was a lazy agnostic. I didn't know if there was a God, but I also didn't spend any time thinking about it. I wasn't especially interested. So then at some point you met Rochelle, because we've heard Rochelle's story, um, which I can't wait to jump into this because Mm -hmm. I'm so curious how this transformation happened for you. Rochelle and I dated for a time, and anybody who wants to should probably go back and listen to her story, Um, but we dated for a time. And she broke up with me. And 
I cried and I collapsed on my living room floor and I just kind of tentatively like called out to the empty house and I said, God, I don't know if you're there, but I love this girl and I don't know what to do and I need help. Hmm. And so like from there, things started happening and I got really motivated I um, cleaned up my house and my life and I started reading the Bible and like really not reading the Bible, but like really intensely studying, looking for answers to questions. I had a list of questions that I wanted answers to, not about her, but about like who God was and what I needed to be doing. Okay, so did you find any of those answers? I did. I did. I had um, the the only possession I had from my grandfather was an an old big concordance that somehow got passed down to me when I wasn't believer. Mm. And so I went I went through that and did topical studies and word studies and everything I could think of to try to find the answers to these questions, and I found a lot of them. For anyone who's listened to Rochelle's story, mm-hmm. um, she mentioned that you came to her with ways that Mormonism was not Christianity. At what point was that? Um, that was, she had come back. We had been dating again for a time. She had asked me to come to church with her, mm-hmm. to the Mormon church with her. And since I was still kind of finding my feet, I agreed to look into it. I interacted with the people. Um, the missionaries came to my house and we had a bunch of long talks and I asked them a bunch of very thoughtful questions that they didn't seem prepared for being 17 year old boys. And so, um, yeah, I continued to diligently study the Bible and ask the questions that the things they presented followed to in my mind. As the things stacked up, I became convicted that she needed to know what I was seeing. And so I spent probably two weeks, like, very thoroughly studying and getting notes together and getting ready to present my case to her. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that night she came over and she told the story I told her everything I had found. I told her that I firmly believed she was going to hell as a Mormon and um, that we couldn't be together because I needed to be a Christian husband. And so we talked for a couple hours. She slammed the door when she left so hard that it felt like the house shook for five minutes Mm. and I cried. 45 minutes to an hour later, she texted me and I texted her back and then I didn't hear anything. And then another half hour or so, and she texted me again and she had questions. Like I could tell almost immediately that it had resonated Mm. in some way. It took probably a couple weeks before I saw her in person again. But even from like that night in the middle of the night when she started texting me again, I was like, I think she heard me. I wasn't sure. So continue with how the progression went. She did ultimately come back. I had um, matured as much as one largely going it alone can in 
a month or two. But yeah, I had sort of been convicted and recommitted myself to doing everything that I possibly could to pursue purity until we were able to get married, Mm -hmm. which I think had an impact on her to see me say, I think that that was something that struck her as, oh, this is real. Because like, that is not how our dating relationship began. But like, I set very strict guidelines going forward from there. Mm -hmm. And I didn't not make mistakes, but it, it wasn't bad. Great. And so you guys got married. We did. Um, It was about 18 months after she came back from the second breakup, if you will. How does God meet you in the trials you experience as a dad and a husband? What my life up to this point has taught me... um, largely but not solely through being Catherine's dad, is that I am powerless. And that was a really hard lesson to learn. Mm -hmm. We don't don't like that idea at all. But um, his strength is made perfect in weakness. And coming to terms with the fact that I am always weak means that he is always strong. And I'm okay with that now. Mm-hmm. That's a hugely important lesson to learn. Um, and how does that play out in your life, in your daily decisions you make, maybe in the hope that you experience? So we may, you may want to backpedal and insert some stuff about Catherine. Catherine has a very long list of formal diagnoses. None of them have a clear prognosis. She could, uh, she just had a a developmental evaluation recently. She tested, she's seven and a half almost. She tested at about 18 months and everything. She could, she could remain at 18 months for the rest of her life. Or she could go to college. Nobody knows. Nobody has an answer for what she will look like in five years. All of the professionals and specialists, therapists, people who've worked with her since she was two or three, nobody has an answer. And that's hard. Mm -hmm. Like, I think in a way, not knowing is harder or would be harder than getting the bad news. Because if it was the bad news... I could grieve and make peace with it. But as it is, I refuse to give up that hope. And in a way, it feels like giving up on her like will and her spirit and strength to give up hope for her future. Mm-hmm. And she is strong and she has spirit. And so I, I refuse. I refuse to mourn the things that she may not become because I don't know if she'll become them or not. Being her father is a a daily a daily gut punch of utter powerlessness. And it was really hard for a long time. But it's also really good. Do you find that your relationship with God has 
grown, grown deeper in your weakness that you've, you've seen and experienced. Yeah. 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 Learning. It's funny because it's something that I hear and see people talk about and wrestle with constantly. And it's, it's not something I can do for them or it's not a skill that I can teach, but learning to really like trust and lean on him. It's really hard, but it's also really good. Mm-hmm. In sort of a bizarre way, it's really liberating. Accepting that you can't do anything about the future means that there's no point in worrying about it. That's a good word. So why are you glad you followed Jesus? Because I couldn't do it without him. I barely can with him. I've... um there's a, a prayer that I've prayed off and on for a long time. And it's not, um, it's not biblically precise, but it's sort of something that has helped me come to terms with things. Um, and so I, I, it's bizarre as it sounds to say, I kind of joke with God at this point that um, he carries 99% and I carry 1%. And I can't take that 1% even. Like, mm-hmm. I need help with that that little sliver. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, there's no way I could function. Utter dependency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Will, thank you so much for sharing your story and being vulnerable, sharing mm-hmm. the hard parts of your life and how um, God has met you and, and given you a hope and a piece that's unexplainable. Thank you. Thank you. The following describes all of our stories, but this scripture came to mind as I was reflecting on Will's story. Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the Spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subjected to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. Praise God for his rich mercy. May we all run to him daily. If you like this podcast, the easiest way to follow and not miss an episode is to subscribe. Listen to an encouraging story each week. Thank you for listening. Be encouraged and tell your story too.